Everybody and welcome to the new season of True Stories of Tinseltown. How exciting! And to be honest, I don't really know when I started the podcast, but I just finished the summer series with April on sultry brunettes, and I love September, fall, going back to school, shows coming in. So I figured, what the heck? It's my new season, and I have a fabulous new season first person guest and his name is the one he is the one and only Bose Hadley hello my dear hello Grace how are you doing I am doing swell and I'm so glad you agreed to be my first guest of my new season it's an honor (laughs) (laughs) well I I really because it's like I have things and I I want Bose to be the guy I want it to be Bose and he wrote a new book and 27th believe that you guys 27th and i love this book i love the cover i love the whole thing scandals secrets and swan songs how hollywood stars lived worked and died i love it (laughs) tell me about the the librarian kept telling you um it sounds rather morbid right Well, yes, because you see, what's rather unique is the swan songs aspect. In other words, the final film and role of each of these 101 stars, because we follow their whole career and life trajectory. Uh And, and of course, most stars do not end up in their final film or whatever as a star. They're usually a supporting actor. And then some of them came to rather sad endings. And so one celebrity, I mean, I'm sorry, one librarian, although to me, librarians are celebrities. Uh, said, well, you know, that sounds a little bit morbid. And I said, no, no, I think you'll find it's very interesting. Hopefully the book is entertaining. It really is. I loved it, and it is informative. And like you said, there's 101 stories about different people, and it's so interesting. But they're in in 48 chapters, because sometimes we're doing theme chapters, such as... Three who died of drugs, three who died of obesity, three females who ended with suicide, or pairs like Doris Day and Rock Hudson, or mother, daughter, Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, father, son, Henry, and Peter Fonda. But anyway, this librarian thought it might be morbid reading, and I said, no, it isn't. But as you'll see, you know, unless you're easily saddened by whatever. You know, this is a classic Hollywood lover's book. We love really, this stuff. Really. She oh, must definitely. not be a classic Hollywood lover. And, because and not, not only that, but a few centuries ago, there was a Frenchman, a duke, called De La Rochefoucauld, and he said something very truthful about human nature. He said, you know, we all have the strength to endure the misfortunes of others. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> and especially if they're movie stars, right? I mean, it's not right. your poor name. Yeah, and we don't know, you know, we weren't there, you know, so it's yeah. so much fun getting that information. And really, what book is going to sell or who wants to listen to a podcast? Oh, we're talking about Goody Two Shoes, 
of classic yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> they right. go to Rebecca church every Sunday. Right. Nobody wants to hear mm. about goody two shoes. I don't want to hear about goody two shoes. <laughs> I wouldn't make my audience listen to goody two shoes. So a few of these stars ended happily, but that is the exception in terms of careers. You know, right? Uh, very few, like a Henry Fonda. He ended up starring in a movie, and the movie was a hit, and the movie brought him the Academy Award. But that was frankly, thanks to his daughter Jane Fonda, who produced the film and hired him. And then, of course, his own performance and the Academy's overdue recognition that this man who played so many iconic roles was a talent. I mean, James Stewart had won an Oscar decades and decades before, and um, let's face it, James Stewart was not the most versatile actor. No, he wasn't. He, He was more like a personality actor. Yeah, exactly. He was always James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, yes. Yes, oh gosh. But I love, because I had a guy who wrote a book about him, Mission, Mm. and Jimmy Stewart was quite the little playboy. Who knew? Oof. I know. Well, that's the thing. The image and the reality often clash, and that's one of the main themes of all my books. And I love that. Another another thing, Grace, is that in this book, uh, Scandal, Secrets, and Swan Songs, and they spell swan songs as one word. I used to spell it as two, or vice versa. Uh, One of the things it does point out, but hopefully in an entertaining way, is that the golden age of Hollywood was not that golden for most, first of all, actresses, even star actresses, because sexism, ageism, looksism, and in a few cases, homophobia, like Elizabeth Scott. Yeah, I want to talk uh, about her later. I really like her. And then for most or all, gay male stars and minorities as well. So, um, golden age is the relative term. Well, for us, I guess, it's because we weren't there, and it seems so glamorous, and, you know... And it was glamorous, yeah. Yeah, and these movies are fabulous, thanks to TCM giving us all the ability to see these films, and, um... They're really good. Is there any chapter you want to talk to about until I get to my choices? No, well, not particularly, just the idea that, for example, one chapter, because grouping 101 people into not 101 chapters, but there's a chapter gone with the wind about how they worked and died. Leslie Howard, most people don't know that Ashley Wilkes from Gone with the Wind, he was shot down by the Nazis during World War II. And then also in the chapter are Hattie McDaniel, the first uh, black performer to ever win an Oscar, and also Butterfly McQueen, who was prissy, and who can forget her in Gone with the Wind. Or there's the chapter Hair of Gold, four blondes, two males, Tab Hunter, Troy Donahue. I want Donahue. to talk about those, ta- uh, Troy Donahue. <laughs> Yeah, and and the only two people in the book who are still alive are the two blonde females, Kim Novak and Brigitte Bardot. They are alive, and I was questioned by the editor, do you want to include them? Suppose they make another movie, another swan song. (laughs) And I said, no, no, it's almost guaranteed they will, neither one will ever make another movie. I believe it. So they're in there, yeah. Okay, so do you want to start with my choices? Okay. You're you're in charge. So this is gay... Icons, and I chose out of those gay icons Tallulah Bankhead, the one and only. Yes. Well, of course, she was bisexual, but in her day, she couldn't be open about that, although she was as daring as she used to. For example, she would say in some interviews, um, Daddy and Daddy, her father and her uncle and her grandfather were all in the U.S. Congress. Right. She came from money. Yeah. Yes, she did. Power and money. 
And she was rather appalled when she did not become a star in the U.S., partly because of that. So she went to England and became a huge stage star. Then she was brought back to Hollywood, and they wanted to make her into the American Marlena Dietrich. But for whatever reason, and she did a whole slew of films, they did not succeed, and she went back to the stage and eventually became a camp icon. Uh, she did say about Daddy, Daddy warned me about men and liquor. He never said a thing about women and cocaine. <laughs> she has <laughs> so, n- innumerable quotable things that she said. Um, oh, she yeah, very clever. And she did, uh, she did The Little Foxes, and she thought that Betty, you know, Betty Davis yeah. did a good job, very good job doing The Little Foxes. But, you know, I think Tallulah would have been great, too. Oh, definitely. But her misfortune was that she was seen as a stage star uh, because her movies had failed in Hollywood. So the Warners, for instance, would not pick her to reprise her huge success in The Little Foxes on screen. They had their own uh, queen of the Warners lot, Betty Davis. Uh, there were other uh, plays that Tallulah did that then went to other actresses as well as Betty Davis. Um, and then she was convinced when All About Eve came along that that was based on her, although it really was, apparently. Oh, my God. It, I, this is such a riot, but I can't say what the whole thing says. And asked if Tab Hunter were gay. He came out much later. Tallulah yeah. famously responded, how should I know, darling? He never sucked my you-know-what. Yes. My groin, my groinal region. <laughs> my black. Now she should have been on the match game. Yeah. She would have been wonderful. I move over, Brett. What was that lady's name that was so oh, funny? Oh, Brett Summers. Yes, Brett Summers. <laughs> she was a riot. Oh, um, definitely. And you know, Tallulah never married. No, she did marry once. Uh, she married an actor who is now best known. His name was John Emery, best known for having appeared on I Love Lucy on one episode, um, whereas at the time he was a renowned stage star, and he was sort of the next or the new John Barrymore because he had that profile and that way of speaking and carrying himself. But no, people don't remember. And uh the marriage didn't last, and afterwards she said, no, we have no hard feelings, darling. In fact, that's the trouble. There were no hard feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you really think she had, do you think she had an affair with Hattie McDaniel, or is that just totally fabricated? You know, well, here's the thing. The source was Kenneth Anger's Hollywood Babylon, which yes. is very entertaining and brought to earth a lot of interesting facts, but he also did put in um, some fabrication. So who can say that is not impossible to Lula and Hattie McDaniel? Apparently, Hattie McDaniel went both ways on the down low. I guess you're, saying, uh, <laughs> you're very you know. groovy. And uh, yeah, um, and and Hattie McDaniel had four husbands, and she said all of them were unsatisfactory. She didn't have children, and at least two of them married her strictly for her money, as she later found out. Scoundrels. There's so many scoundrels in classic oh. Hollywood. So many. Absolutely. These hangers-on and leeches. Yes. And then oh, she... to this day. Yeah. She was in... Um, she was in... 
Batman, and she played the Black Widow, darling. That's right, the Black Widow. A lot of these people became um, sort of even, even campier in their image by appearing on Batman as villains, because Batman back in the 60s had wonderful villains. King Tut, not just the famous the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, but so many others. And um, that's where a lot of these movie stars ended up was, of course, on television, which was in those days very much a come down. But it was employment and it was also visibility. It's not always about needing the money. It's about wanting to work, wanting to remind the public, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that one. I would love it if they brought Batman because I, you know, I didn't see a lot. I would catch it. Sometimes they'd have it maybe on Nick at Night or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't, or TV Land. I don't remember, but it. I loved Burt Ward. He played it so yeah. straight, so yeah. straight. He, he was hilarious. He was. He totally, really was. I wish I met him. He was doing the Turner Classic Movie Festival, and he and his uh, elite. Lee, what's her name? Oh, Lee Merriweather? Yes, they were there. Yeah, she was Catwoman. Yeah. And they were a riot, I heard, and he was just amazing. Oh. And I just yeah. loved him. And she was, So Tallulah did not escape the crone flick. Right. That was her swan song, in fact. You see, now this is another thing about Hollywood female stars. The U.S. is less forgiving of women in the mere fact of their aging. So a lot of women, Tallulah Bankhead, uh, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, had to go to England, which is kinder to older women, uh, to do their final films. And Tallulah went to England to do a film where she plays a rather demented Christian fanatic. Mrs. Terhume, right? (laughs) Yeah, yes, uh, Mrs. Brown. And she kidnapped Stephanie Powers, you know, from Heart to Heart and the Girl from Uncle. Uh, because apparently her character had had a son who died, and it turns out he was gay, but he was engaged to Stephanie Powers, and so Tallulah won't let her out of her house after Stephanie comes by to pay yeah, her Yeah, she said she must be pure, she is his bride, yes. and all that. Stop wearing, yeah. take off that lipstick and don't no ever mirrors. wear red again. No right. mirrors. And then, and then Tallulah's secret turns out to be that in her youth, she had been a stage actress and been all the things she is now against. Anyway, the film was titled Die, Die, My Darling. I loved At it. Least, yes, and it was a fun film. It holds up. And Donald Sutherland had a small role in it. He was very, great. Yes, yeah, sort of yeah. a mentally... Uh, yes, mentally challenged uh, male servant right. who helped uh, Tallulah keep Stephanie Powers captive. Uh, anyway, that was the U.S. title, Die, Die, My Darling. But in Britain, it was more soberly titled Fanatic, because that's what Tallulah played. Well, anyway, it didn't go over well. It was not another Baby Jane, a big hit. So that's how she ended her film career, her swan song. Well, perhaps because she was not Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Yeah. You know, and she was perfect as Mrs. Terhune. And yes. did they ever, I, I just thought they alluded to him being gay. Oh, yeah, right. She, they never said it. And uh, her way of putting it was always, I think his name was Alan. I'm not sure. Stephen. Oh, Stephen. Oh, Stephen. Well, Miles, well, you must have seen it lately or have a great mm-hmm. memory. Yeah, that he was pure. I have a he weird memory. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for odd little fa- 
back. Yes. And uh, yeah, that, that right. In other words, and he wasn't interested in girls. Now, why he was engaged to lovely Stephanie Powers, we don't know. But um, anyway, so what Tallulah wanted, her character was to kill Stephanie Powers so she could then rejoin her dead son and they could sort of be happy or married together in heaven. Yeah. Fanatic. Die, die, my darling. Right. So Tallulah did not make a very old age. She did do lots of cocaine. She drank. She she did did everything. Yeah, she really Uh, did. Drugs and, and, uh, yeah, cocaine, she was asked about, you use it so much. And she said, but it's not habit-forming, darling, and I should know. I've been using it for 20 years. <laughs> what right? <laughs> yeah, and, and alcohol. And here's the thing. She died at 65, which now we say, well, that's so premature. Not for her. I mean, when you read the biographies of her, you're amazed that she lived to 65 after all she did to herself. She was something. I love the story that uh, when she was doing Lifeboat, um, Mm. she did not wear underwear. And so Hitchcock said, I don't know if I should get hair or makeup. (laughs) She has to have her hair done. (laughs) I don't know the quote, right? It's so funny. What department should I contact? Hair, (laughs) makeup, dressing, special effects. So she basically (laughs) died of... uh, um, Alcoholism, well, just, right? Yes, and just uh, abuse of every, you know, she had abused her heart, her whole system. Just, again, that she lived to 65 was rather remarkable. It really is. It is, when you because, think of that. You see, I have a chapter in there on three actors who died from drugs, but John Belushi mm-hmm. and, uh, and so on, and River Phoenix, who died, I think, at 23, and mm. Belushi in his early 30s. And then the third one, uh, also Chris Farley in his early 30s. So for 65 for her and with all she had been doing, um, again, she had a very strong constitution. But again, as we know, women and actresses particularly live longer than men and than male actors. Yeah. Well, they're they're. You know, I think they have to be tougher, you know, in yeah. some ways to survive in it. You know, there there is a chapter in Scandal, Secrets, and Swan Songs titled Tough, and it has three people in it, Robert Mitchum, Steve him. McQueen, and Barbara Stanwyck, because they were all very tough people. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about, because I've had uh, Barbara and done a show on... Um, Steve McQueen, wonderful mm. book a guy wrote, and I just loved Steve McQueen. Robert Mitchum wasn't really disliked, was he? A dislike? Yeah. Um, no. He, he basically, again, another actor who was such a strong personality that he was basically himself in each film, mm-hmm. but he could play villains, as in The Night of the Hunter. And he was fabulous. Others. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, chilling. He should have... I don't know that he was even ever nominated for an Oscar, which is remarkable. You see, if you tend to be the same from film to film... They don't think you're acting. Think, oh, yeah. yeah, you're not making any effort, therefore. And yet Spencer Tracy was the same in virtually everything. Yeah. He couldn't do a foreign accent, but he won two Best Actor Oscars. And like, so, same as James Stewart we were talking about. Yes, right. And a lot of it is politics. I mean, John Wayne, not a great talent, but he won an Oscar, whereas Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole, on oh, and on. Never them. won yeah. Yes. Okay, the next one I talk about is suicides. And this one is very famous, but there's really not a lot of story behind her because she had a career that was like poof. Peg and yeah. Twessel. 
Peg Andwell, well, the thing is, her first film was her last film. Now, there's a separate chapter on first film equals last film. Yeah. But in her case, she was a stage star. She was very young, but she was the same age as Betty Davis. Betty Davis saw her on the stage in The Wild Duck by Henrik Ibsen and told her mother, Ruthie, I want to be a stage star just like Peg Entwistle, who was British-born. Anyway, there's very little known about her private life, and I bring that up in the chapter because she may or she may not have been abused by the uncle she lived with ever since her father had been killed in, a, I believe it was a streetcar accident in New York City. Uh, she went to live with the uncle, and then when she moved to Hollywood, the uncle came with her. Yes. And you see, the coverage of her suicide is always this, very sexist, temperamental actress kills self. Where's the surprise? Because she's a female, she's an actress, they do that kind of thing. So it, they didn't really go into what might have motivated her suicide. The fact that her part was shrunken in her first movie, that her lines were cut in her... 13 time, women. Was, Yes, 13 women. Uh, one of the first female ensemble films. It starred Irene Dunn mm -hmm. and Myrna, Myrna Loy. Uh, but that was very routine, chopping down films to, you know, an hour's length or so. And she was a trained and esteemed stage actress. She would have gotten more work in Hollywood because it wasn't long since they had transitioned to talkies. And New York stage actors were in demand. So there was more to her suicide than has been said. But, of course, she is remembered not so much by name, but by being the actress who jumped off the H in the Hollywood sign to her death. And how would she ever think that she would be immortal? And yeah. not through her movie, but through her death. No, no. But exactly, from her way of death. It was so symbolic. She came to Hollywood. She was disappointed, although, again, that may not be the main reason she killed herself. And so she jumped off the Hollywood sign. And, of course, remembering in those days the sign spelled Hollywoodland, which was a real estate development. Yes. Well, it's how everybody, you know, they bought all, they would People own Rodeo Drive, Rodeo Drive, yes, and all these yes. things. That's why they get so rich. And it's exactly, just... like Edward Everett Horton owned a big chunk of downtown Encino, and yet he was such a tightwad. Yeah, that's a lot of people like that. Fred McMurray yes. used to bring his lunch to work every day, yes. and he was known and to be a cheap, as Cary Grant, cheap And states. I was just going to say, mm -hmm. the other SP almost, Cary Grant and Clark Gable, because they had the same monogram, on December 26th would get together and exchange Christmas gifts that they didn't want, especially <laughs> if they were a monogram. Yeah, yeah. Both of them came from dire poverty, so, uh, yeah. We forget nowadays when... We do have homeless, of course, and that's an ongoing tragedy. But you remember in those days we had the Great Depression, and of course, great meant big, not wonderful, obviously. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people, if they grew up with poverty in the first 20 years, that didn't leave them mentally. No, I, I agree. Rich. Yeah. But I it totally was part agree. of their whole makeup, yeah, till, till death. Yeah. Okay, this one Second Infancy. And I want to talk about Tyrone oh. Power. Why did you call the chapter Second Infancy? Well, because he and Lon Chaney, the two characters in it, uh, both died young. And uh, the age at which they died, like, uh, let's say, 40-ish, the French say that 40, instead of, you know, here in the U.S., we say, oh, middle-aged, you're going downhill now. They, the French say 40 is the infancy of old age. Ah, 
It's sort of like today is the rest, uh, the first day of the rest of your life. It's a more optimistic and maybe a more realistic, certainly more inspiring way of looking at age. And these two men did die prematurely, but they were opposites because Lon Chaney, who was not handsome, he made his fortune from his changing faces. He was a silent superstar, you know, the Phantom of the Opera, etc. He made only one talkie, and it was his swan song, and it proved that he had a future in talkies. It was a hit, but he got cancer, he died, and the next role he was going to do was a film called Dracula. So instead it went to a Hungarian named Bela Lugosi, and so had Lon Chaney lived, our perception of Dracula would have been extremely different from what it is now, thanks to the Transylvanian Count, played by Bela Lugosi. Well, now on the other side, you have Tyrone Power, whose fortune was his face. His face was his fortune. He was gorgeous, so beautiful. Yeah, he was. But, you know, around, I think he died, yeah, at 44, around his late 30s, he started aging significantly. Awful, awful. Yeah, like, I mean, looking... Well older than he was, because now you can have you can be fifty five and look forty. He was say thirty eight and looked fifty two or something. Witness uh, to the but, prosecution. It's like oh my yes, god. Yes, exactly. Yeah, one of his last. And he uh, was. But, he looked so much older. Yes, he he aged, but partly it was the stress of his life. He was the one who said it's only a gilded cage. He was basically gay. You could say bisexual. He did marry uh, three times. Mm-hmm. He did have children. His only son was born after his death, as with Clark Gable. Gorgeous kids. Uh, he was gorgeous. And, and Cesar Romero, who lived to be twice his age, and they were very close and probably were lovers, and Cesar Romero said Tyrone Power was the love of his life. Uh, Cesar said that, and Cesar never married, uh, but he said that the stress of being a closeted superstar basically did him in. And so when he was in Spain, Tyrone Power, shooting Solomon and Sheba, playing King Solomon, uh, he dropped dead very soon after doing a grueling dueling scene with George Saunders, who was as always the villain, and he was wielding a heavy sword, and the director, King Vidor, kept doing retake after retake in the hot Spanish sun, and Tyrone Power wasn't feeling well, and he said, finally, that's enough. I'm going to my dressing room. I don't feel well. So eventually, when it felt even worse, a doctor was called for, but they were out on location in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the plains of La Mancha, and so no doctor came for at least an hour. Anyway, so he died at 44 of a heart attack. Well, his dad also died very young. He was an actor. Yes, exactly. You will find some of these people, and I mentioned it, for example, wow, one of the actors who was obese, John Candy, he mm-hmm. died from that. His father also had died very young, and he had been warned, John Candy, uh, you're way too heavy, it harms your health, you have to cut down. He would not do it because he felt, again, where Tyrone Power's face was his fortune, John Candy felt if he slimmed down, that would diminish his box office. He was a fat, jolly, likable actor, and uh, he thought, then you're not going to be likable or jolly. That's terrible that they have to think that way. And he died yeah, so because, young. Because of the stereotyping, you see. Once you're this or you're that, that is what you are to everyone who casts in Hollywood. If you're just, you know, a handsome face, if you're just a jolly, fat actor, that's all they cast you for. John Wayne once said he wanted to play, he would love to have played in a Noel Coward story. But no one would ever cast John Wayne in a Noel Coward story. He was 
John Wayne. John right. Wayne rolled only. Yeah. Yeah. And you say, I do believe that Tyrone, uh, Lana Turner says he was the love of her life. I don't believe she was the love of his life. He, he, right. She allegedly got pregnant, and he was going on a trip flying around with um, Cesar Romero. Right, in South America. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they had a signal if she was supposed to get an abortion or not. I don't remember what the signal was. He gave her the signal. She had the abortion. He came back married to, I think, Linda Christian or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Linda Christian, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can't even imagine having to be closeted. And, you know, it's just... Oh, but even now it continues, especially for male stars. I mean, there is no male top star. We've all heard rumors of who is, but uh, they don't come out. They just don't. And, you know, a large part of it, uh, this is why you shouldn't feel too sorry for them, a large part of it is selfishness. These are public figures, and as such, they earn tremendous fortunes. I mean, an actor can earn for one film now enough to set him up for life and also his children for life. And For a few lives, public... actually. <laughs> oh, yes, really. I mean, they can keep coming back yeah. and back. You know, ask Shirley MacLaine. But uh, the thing, you, you know, when you're a public figure, you also have a responsibility, especially if you're a gay public figure. The rate of suicide among gay and lesbian teens is four times that of ordinary teenagers. And partly it's because of the lack. I mean, it's far better now than when I was growing up, but the lack of positive gay role models. I mean, it's not all Boy George or Liberace. You no, have they have some wonderful, people. but they do, the ones that have come yeah. out, and mm-hmm. they're wonderful, and they're... Oh, they are, definitely. Yeah. But But they're not at that top level where they're afraid of losing the career, and to some degree, one can empathize. On the other hand, how much more money do they need? Yeah, and, but you know what? what? I think they just want to go down in history that they weren't gay. I, I don't well, know. But the, but the thing is, the truth will out. And of course it does. Especially yeah. the moment they're dead, then there it is. So-and-so is gay. Tyrone Power, this one, that one, the other mm-hmm. one. So you see, trying to hide it may to some degree work during a lifetime, but once you're gone and you cannot be quoted. Well, another thing is this. Most people don't know. You can no longer sue for being called gay or lesbian because in the old days it was like Liberace. Yeah, like a slur. Yeah, a slur, a a defamation. Mm -hmm. Liberace three times sued for being called gay, which he was gay, and three times he won. Well, now the times are more enlightened and real. Uh, it's no longer actionable. So that's something, a big step forward. That is. It is. And I want to talk about this. This is one of my favorite guys, Montgomery Clift. Oh. Crash. Yes, Crash, yes. Well, again, uh, you know, perhaps it has been exaggerated the extent to which his face changed and his beautiful looks were damaged by the car accident. The car accident was because he attended a party at Elizabeth Taylor's home. She was married to Michael Wilding, mm-hmm. her second husband at the time, by whom she had two sons. And she, he was tired that day from filming, and she said, no, come over, come over, and I have a priest who will be here, and he's a very hip priest. He says, F-U-C-K, tell her he said hello. He right, said exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a very hip young priest, yeah. and she intimated also he might be a gay priest, which in those days no one had ever heard such a thing. But, of course, Montgomery Clift would know. But anyway, so he went over. He apparently may have over-imbibed, as was his habit. That's priest didn't even show thing. up. <laughs> <laughs> no, the priest did, but they left separately. Mm. 
Yeah, and so Montgomery Clift was recklessly driving at 40 miles an hour down these very narrow, foggy, winding roads in Bel Air where Elizabeth Taylor lived, and he crashed into a tree, and uh, he was just mangled, and she showed up then, and she helped remove some of the teeth that had gotten down, broken teeth, uh, remove them from his trachea so he wouldn't um, dive them. Yeah, choked to death. And then the photographers very shortly, somebody tipped them up, what showed pigs? up. Yeah, like really to take pictures of his bloodied face. And she screamed at them and said, if you take one picture of him, I will never pose for anything for you again. And that was enough for them to withhold doing that. And she also but, body blocked him, too. She put herself in yes, front of oh, him definitely. so that they yeah, couldn't get photos. Yeah, sheltered him. They're all ghouls. Him until... Yeah, really, until the ambulance could come. And uh, he never really mentally recovered from that. And Because also, remember, it's not always the celebrity's fault about drugs when there are painkillers involved. Um, you know, painkillers can be very addictive. And uh, then the fact that he was no longer this beautiful face, it, what, the way Elizabeth Taylor put it, and he was her best friend, apparently, uh, she said, it didn't ruin his looks, it made his looks less delicate. Well, that's a kind way to put it. I mean, he was nowhere as good looking, but he did not become a monster. And that's what a lot of these uh, tabloid and certain biographies have intimated that, oh, he was now so ugly, he had no, to hide his face. That's horrible. That's no wonder he drank and did yeah. all the drugs, all these charming people saying that. Yes, you can yeah. see a huge difference in his face. He had yeah. tons of nerve damage on that side, and part of his That's face was paralyzed in there. You know, and um, she stuck by him. He was doing Raintree County, and they have the yeah. first half prior to the accident, and then they have the second half. And, right. You know, you see it, and he, he had a haunted look to him. In my yes, in my did. eyes, he had a very haunted look. And right, as in suddenly last summer, also with Elizabeth. Yes, mm -hmm. I love the story because I guess uh, Mankiewicz directed that. Uh, yes, it was Mankiewicz from a Tennessee Williams story. Yeah, suddenly last summer. Yeah, it's quite a cult movie now. Oh my yeah. God, I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah, um, really. But once. He, they were very cruel. He he was very cruel to Montgomery, and at the end. This is allegedly. Uh, Catherine Hepper came up to him yeah. and said, is this the last shot? Are we done? Are you sure? And then she spit in his face. <laughs> yes. And he wasn't the only cruel one. You know, John Houston was a very strange oh, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was a guest. He, and, and although he was reputedly liberal, he was very homophobic, and uh, he treated Montgomery Clift very badly during the shooting of Freud, in which Clift played Sigmund Freud. And the film was a flop because audiences weren't interested in psychiatry yet to the right. degree that much later. And um, John Huston sued Monty Clift for all kinds of uh, delays on the set without revealing that he himself had caused various uh, costly and timely delays. And that dragged on for three years, during which Monty wasn't offered new roles, or good new roles. And Monty won, but by then he was one foot in the grave. So yeah. John Huston, and the, the reason is this, John Huston had directed Talk About Swan Songs. The Misfits was the swan song for Clark Gable. It was Marilyn Monroe's last completed film, and Montgomery Clift was in it, and Huston did not treat uh, Cliff badly in that, although Cliff was third build, not 
first bill, Sigmund Freud. But between in the interim, John Houston found out Montgomery Clift was gay, and he was so disgusted by that that he treated him terribly during Freud, and um, that hurt him very well. I mean, it hurt him very much, because the reason that Montgomery Clift did his final film, his swan song, it was a film almost unknown called The Defector, a European co-production mm-hmm. hardly released in the U.S. He wanted to show that he could still carry a film and be a male lead, because they were denying him insurance in Hollywood, and without insurance, you cannot film. Right. And so what happened is he wanted to be the male lead to play the gay husband of Elizabeth Taylor in Reflections in a Golden Eye from Carson McCullough's novella. And uh, she was ready, being the good friend she was to him, to put up her million-dollar-plus salary as a bond, uh, for uh, which she would be forfeited if he didn't behave properly, uh, so that he could co-star with her and resurrect his career. Unfortunately, he then finally died of all this abuse and the heart and the drugs and the alcohol. And so in the end, Marlon Brando, who in real life was bisexual, although he had eight or ten or eleven children, possibly eleven, including by some of his maids, uh, Marlon Brando ended up playing the gay husband. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Brian, I think I only saw it once. Um, it's a very interesting film. It is. Also with Julie Harris, Brian Keith, um, the story, Robert Forster plays the love object of Marlon Brando. What about him just going unrequited. through? Yes. <laughs> In fact, he played a nude scene, not Brando, of course, but uh, Robert Forster, which growing up I saw the film two or three times on TV, and only later on either TCM or on DVD did you realize, oh, he's nude, they had cut that, because you don't know what they cut until you see the original version. Yeah. And they cut a lot. You know, recently, you, everyone remember, well, remember Elizabeth R. starring Glenda Jackson as Elizabeth I. Right. Well, in it, what they showed in the U.S. on public TV, she would often, Elizabeth I, use this exclamation when she was angry. She would say, God's teeth. Well, I recently, about well, last year, during the height of COVID, I saw... Uh, the original British version, and it wasn't God's teeth. That was put in for the American version. What she said every time was God's death, which was considered blasphemous for the U.S., and so one never heard that until you see the original version now. (laughs) So censorship. Well, very often we're just not aware that we're being censored because we don't know what the original was, what was censored, until we go back and see what was originally filmed. It's funny, the things that they would change it with. And so he yeah. died, he was what, 44, 46 or something? Yes. Of a heart yeah, I believe 46, right. The heart finally gave out. Uh, and again, you see, he had just gotten into the habit of more and more drugs, adding to his whole pharmacopoeia of drugs, but it did begin with the painkillers because of the car crash. Yes. Before that, he had drunk too much. Uh, It was alcohol, which is the usual thing for Hollywood, but it wasn't the drugs. That began began with prescription painkillers. Yep, and he also drank as well. Um, You know what I read? I read Elizabeth and Monty um, Friendship book. It was very good. And it said that, um, that he... They that they thought the love of Monty's life was Kevin McCarthy. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, they were very good friends. Kevin McCarthy was married. Whether he was bisexual or not, who knows? But of course, as would be expected, uh, he denied being gay. And he said, and this is ridiculous, oh, I didn't know Monty was gay. Oh, and brother. I know, and Truman Capote said to that something like, well, every streetcar conductor in New York City knew he was gay. <laughs> you do a great Truman Capote. Oh, <laughs> oh, I met, I knew Truman Capote, yeah, he was something, yeah. In fact, he's in the book because he's in the chapter on first film, last film, his first movie, Neil Simon's Murder by Death, was his last movie. It was a big hit, but again, with Truman Capote, like, on Cameron Cliff, the drinking and the drugs, so he didn't work anymore. He was just getting more and more erratic, and then he died at age 59 at Joanne Carson's home here in the Hollywood Hills. Well, she was good to take him in because he had been sort of become a pariah and run out of town, that's for sure. Yes. Um, Okay. I had... um, Sue Costello on, and we talked about her dad. She wrote a very good book on her father, and it's Funny Men, Lou Mm -hmm. Costello, and he's fascinating. We didn't get to talk about a lot of the stuff that she wrote, but um, it's interesting that he hangers on, will tell him, oh, you're so funny, you should get all the money. You, you know, he'd be nowhere without you, you know. And, yeah. and, and he wanted it to be Costello and Abbott. And, and you know what would have happened? He would have been hated. The tabloids would have come out at him. Who does he think he is? Why is he doing this now? But he really? he was an interesting guy and oh, yeah. messed up, and especially <laughs> after the death of his son. Who, yeah, the little boy drowned in their swimming pool. Not yeah. quite one years old. His wife yeah, was baby. not home. She, I think it could have been around Christmas time where she was doing oh, birthday shopping for the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The assistant was there and one other person was there. And I really don't know, unless he was like Hercules, how this kid gets out of uh, the playpen yeah. and, and really? plops himself in there. That to me is an mm-hmm. you know, amazing feat. And that totally yeah. blew him away. He blamed his yeah. wife. Not only did he blame his wife, but his mother harped, harped. You're killing my son. You killed my, yeah. my grandchild. You, yes. And so she started drinking like crazy. Yeah, she became alcoholic. Yes, mm-hmm. she did. Yeah. And she died very soon after uh, Lou did. Yes. He was born in 1906, died in 1959. You know, the thing about, yeah, the chapter you're alluding to is Funny Men, which is Lou Costello and Dudley Moore, mm-hmm. because they both were halves of teams. Uh, in Britain, it was Dudley Moore and Peter Cook, and Peter Cook was the dominant one. But with Abbott and Costello, as you say, um, Lou was the funny one, obviously. Abbott alone, I mean, he's just a straight man. He was very dour, and all he basically did was get poor Lou in trouble or hit him. But you know and, what? And, and, it worked. Mm-hmm. It worked. It worked very well. Oh, yeah. You know, they were... Yeah. Box office-wise, they were kings. I mean, we look back and we think they were the top of the box office list. Yeah. Yes, they were. Yeah. And and there's another aspect to it. You said if it had been changed to Costello and Abbott, the, the media would have been upset with them. Remember this. Uh, people forget now, but back in the day, 
Italian-American and or Catholic, which usually they go together, was uh, there was a lot of bigotry. You read a lot of the novels of the time by James M. King, you know, Postman Always Rings Twice, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Uh, and uh, a lot of people thought, well, first of all, he's Italian-American. He's not so smart. He has a nerve. He's just lucky to be employed. Uh, and, and Bud Abbott, of course, with the Anglo names, and he was taller and he was slim, um, so all of these things worked in his favor. And originally, Bud Abbott got 60% of their joint salary. Well, eventually, after they'd been making dozens of films and had their own TV series, uh, Costello got his revenge because he switched it around to 60% for him and 40% for Abbott. And when they did their TV series, the TV series was owned by Lou Costello. So Abbott was then his employee. Mm, it's not and easy. It, I think being in a team no. is very yeah. difficult because one per yeah. like Jerry Lewis always got the attention for mm. being you know and he yeah, was for really being yeah, crazy. and he yeah. was really you know like a ser- one night stand cheating on his wife constantly kind of guy and oh, everybody no. thought he was so wonderful. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to yeah. go to. Uh, oh, and just to what? finish that off, so Lou Costello's Swan Song was a film on his own without Abbott, and of course, no surprise, a total flop. Mm-hmm. So that was that. Yeah. I don't know which Western on television he was on, but he did the serious part, and um, that didn't go over well either, I believe. You know, they, mm. they're so used to seeing you like that, and you know, it's, yes. not, it's not easy to be funny. It's easy to oh, be no. dramatic. It's easy yeah. to do all this stuff. But to, True. you know, you know, comedy's hard. Living is easy. Whatever. It comedy is. is hard. And, and, and if you're a comic, look at Robin Williams, and there is a chapter on Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, they expect it to always be funny, and if you're too serious, they're disappointed. Yeah. One of... In fact, uh, possibly Robin Williams' final film, his swan song, at least during his lifetime, because then he left three or four more movies, he played a gay man. Yes, uh, it was very and, good. And, without, and with no flamboyance whatsoever. Mm-mm. And it was such a grim portrayal. He was stuck in this awful marriage with this also grim woman who was, you know, understandably she felt betrayed once she finds out. Uh, but it was so grim, the public just totally rejected the film, not because he played gay, which he had done before, but because he's too serious. Where's the humor? But he was very good. I have to say, very he did every. Good. I watched it. It is very grim, but I. It was called Boulevard. Yes, yeah, Boulevard. I saw that, and I thought it was really good. I mean, look at the difference, like La Caja Fall. Oh, people yeah, would laugh, totally. laugh, laughing at it. I hated it. I have so many gay friends. I have this, you know, and it's. I just didn't think it. Was, they were like, oh, oh, oh. I was with my family and my brothers, oh, oh, oh. and yeah. I'm like, you know, geez, this is so over the top. This is and, and not only that, but you see, when they redid it with Robin Williams as the birdcage in, uh, for U.S. audiences... Mm. Uh, That's what I meant, directed, yes. Yeah, it was directed by Mike Nichols, and as critics said at the time, and more so since then, there was no advance, there was nothing progressive about it, but you can put that down to Mike Nichols, who was a top director and who was in the closet. 
Yeah, he want, I heard that. He didn't that. want to make a pro-gay message. Yeah, very much so. He and the photographer Richard Avedon had been lovers for years, and at one point they considered leaving their wives and running off together. Of course, they didn't do it. And uh, um, Mike Nichols told his longtime assistant, uh, a female who'd worked with him for 20, 30 years, uh, when I'm gone, you can tell the world, but I don't want to upset the card as it were the apple card during right. my lifetime and when he died he was still married to diane sawyer and why did he marry diane was it just convenience well or they know, were really great friends or well partly being closeted partly because she was a celebrity i don't think he'd have married just you know a quote-unquote everyday woman uh but yeah he was still closeted but also still very much wanting celebrity and of course when there are two celebrities married there's that much more aura around them and that much more publicity for right. them because by then he was not as hot as he had been before yeah you know what i find fascinating Bose, is john houston was mm. in showbiz basically his father oh yeah everybody how can he really hate gay people and not be around oh, well, in gay those people. Days, yeah. yeah, but they're well, actors. In those days, that's, that's the business. I mean, if, if you look at today's homophobia, it's bad, but it is nothing compared to what it was. And remember, a big part of this, gay people didn't open their mouths. Right. You know, and that's it. So, that, so the non-gay people, especially the homophobes, were free to define gay people and say, this is what they do, this is what they're like, and always in the most negative way. Uh, so, and, and again, it was in, emphasized by religion, mm-hmm. obviously, and politics and society and everything, so that it was... Uh, in those days, it's almost like everyone was anti-gay. I mean, you know, even the liberal people, uh, like a John Houston. And and again, you have to remember that most people, whatever attitudes they get in the first 20 years of their life, whether it's to do with poverty or the way they're raised, let's say their parents are religious fundamentalists or whatever, they will tend to carry that on well mm-hmm. into their 60s, 70s, even though times change, their attitude doesn't necessarily because they're back, their generation goes that far back to when there was that much more hatred and persecution. Yeah. I don't think today, you know, the, you know, I was oh, raised a Catholic oh. and, you know, I stopped going to church when I was 15 and I knew um, priests, almost all of them in my diocese were defrocked for having uh, sex mm-hmm. with the altar boys and young boys. And it just, I'm like, you hypocrites, you disgust, mm-hmm. and yeah. you disgusting pigs with these little boys. And I knew yeah. a priest that murdered a kid. He was my oh. best friend's cousin. And wow. uh, he never got charged. They just moved him here, there, mm-hmm. and everywhere. But I don't right. think people today, you know, just go by, you know, there are some, maybe fundamentals, things like that. They, they go by yeah. what the parents and do. And the right-wing politicians who exploit the issue. Yeah. Know. I think Even so. when they have a gay or lesbian child, yeah. <laughs> Dick Cheney, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, okay, let's do Fatal Obesity. And this is an actor I really liked, Laird Krieger. Oh, yeah. And he is yeah. not really well known. No. But he did some really good films. Oh, yeah, and he was very highly praised in his day. He's one of those people, when you see him, after you've seen him in a film, you don't forget him because his physical presence, he was large. He was tall as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, not just overweight, but he was tall. And what did him in was dieting excessively to the point that it just 
well, ended his life. The thing is, he wanted to be a leading man, but he did not have the faith or he really manner for didn't. leading He really didn't. You know, no, there was no crime to being a wonderful supporting actor. I, and in those days, you could make a career of that, a good career, and he did. And he he was really good. I mean, he was in The uh, the Lodger. He was yeah. in um, I Wake Up Screaming. Hangover Square. Yeah, Hangover right. Hangover Square with Linda Darnell. And he was mm-hmm. in, he played the devil. He was hysterical. And um, what was, with the Don Amici, what's the name of that one? Heaven oh, Can Wait, is that it? Yes, I think Heaven Can Wait, yeah. He was in several films, and, and he loved his career and so on, but he aspired to be a romantic lead, which is unrealistic. His last two films, he was the lead, but in the last two films, he played characters who may or may not have been Jack the Ripper, as in The Lodger and Hangover Square. So he did achieve that. But as I think it was Merle Oberon who said, she's quoted in the book, uh, to think he could go from playing leads in what were basically horror films to a romantic lead because he had co-starred with and got a crush on Tyrone Power in Blood and Sand uh, was totally unrealistic. But the poor man dieted, and he also had one of the first bypass surgery operations yeah. to lose weight. Wow. And it did him in. He was hardly 30, and he died. Yeah. He lost like over 100 pounds and his body couldn't oh, yeah. take it because you know, no, he had been doing fat. yo-yo dieting and then this, boom, 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. And he was, mm-hmm. what, 30 years old, 31, I think. Uh, yeah, I th- uh, yeah, 29, 30 or possibly 31. You know, in those days, it was easier for people to lie about their age because records weren't as solid as they are today. And sometimes there was no record or no reliable record. So you sometimes have discrepancies in people's ages, not in when they died, but of course when they were born. Yeah, so he just dieted himself to death. And there are three men in that chapter, including mm-hmm. John Candy and uh, who is the Victor other one? Victor Buono, oh, who I big, love as oh, well. Whatever. Wonderful. Whatever actor. happened to Baby Jane, his first movie, and he got a supporting Oscar nomination. He was wonderful in that. And yeah. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, he played Charlotte's oh, it, daddy. Now, here's the funny thing it, this was two years after Baby Jane, and in which he played, you know, the character who Betty Davis hires as her musical accompanist. Uh, and two years later, he's playing Betty Davis's father, although he's decades younger than Betty Davis. But when you're that heavy, it ages you. I mean, you can be... I showed a picture of Laird Craigar when he was in his mid-20s mm-hmm. to a friend, and I said, how old do you think he was here? And the friend said, oh, mid-40s, maybe 50? Well, he was mid-20s, but that's what obesity can do to one's appearance. And, of course, it totally stifles one's career choices because usually the man will then be cast only as a villain or a jolly figure, a Santa-type figure, like with John Candy. And so all three of these men died uh, very prematurely because they just ate too much, basically. Yeah, and then lost too much. That's a shame. Accident. I want to talk about this one. Susan Peters. Oh, that was sad, yeah. Uh, She was a rising star, and MGM had called her the star of tomorrow. And then she went with her husband, who was much later a suicide, um, a good friend of Jack Lemmon, went on a duck hunting on an expedition or a duck hunt on New Year's Day. This was in the 40s. And uh, she, her rifle somehow accidentally discharged. Anyway, it severed her spine 
from then on she was wheelchair bound and paralyzed from the waist down. She eventually was able to get a few stage roles, like Laura in The Glass Menagerie, because she had been written as sort of a cripple, well, right. in this case, more so. And uh, she did do one more film. MGM dropped her, of course. But remember, MGM was headed by the very uncharitable Louis B. Mayer, who, however, did keep employing um, uh, Lionel Barrymore in film after film in a wheelchair, but then Lionel Barrymore was a male and he was older. Susan Peters was a young, She was just a female. kid. She got, didn't yeah. she get uh, nominated for an Academy Award for Random Harvest, Best Supporting Actress? Yes, yes, very early on she did, indeed, mm-hmm. yeah. Then she did The Sign of the Ram. That was her swan song. It was for Columbia, which at the time, Columbia was a second-tier studio. It did not do well. Again, as various people said, including Jack Clement, uh, people at the time didn't want to see a pretty girl in a wheelchair. So it flopped, and that was it. Eventually, she did do a radio series. and she, She continued working sporadically, but she was getting more and more depressed. And, of course, as always, chemicals you know, chemical dependence, and also anorexia. She was, when she died, one of the causes was she was starving herself to death. She was just so depressed. I think she just willed herself. I think she just wanted to go, you know, I've I've had enough. It really was, it's it's such a tragic story for her. Okay, Mm -hmm. I think we should end on Caught, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Scott. Elizabeth Scott, very interesting. You know, when you look back at her movies from the 40s especially, that was her decade, she was one of the major stars of film noir. She was great. And she was beautiful. She was brought in as a threat to Lauren Bacall. Now, both women were Jewish. Both had husky voices. Mm -hmm. The difference is Elizabeth Scott was lesbian, possibly bisexual, but definitely women Mm -hmm. primarily. Lauren Bacall was not. And Lauren Bacall married a star, Humphrey Bogart. So that One of the biggest stars in Hollywood, yeah. And and then had children with him. Uh, So she lasted. Elizabeth Scott was finally in the 50s outed by Confidential magazine, very much a tabloid-type magazine, uh, that when she would go to Paris, she would socialize with a woman who was a female pimp for women. And uh, anyway, they outed her. And in those days, unlike in recent decades, where outing does not hurt careers, and half of the people who were outed later do come out voluntarily, this did end Elizabeth Scott's career as a film star her swan well it wasn't her swan song that means the final film but her last film then in the 50s was an elvis presley film where she played his manager right so that was the closest they could come to fitting her in uh with her not being a romantic character she was his sort of tough manager who helps propel him to the top as a singer but then in the 70s she was all set to make a big comeback in a modern film noir starring michael Caine, titled pulp Mm p-u-l-p uh but as it turned out it was a dud of a film and it flopped her role as written looked good but again it was diminished her lines were cut uh she played a very unsympathetic character ironically a homophobic character Mm -hmm. but homophobic where gay males are concerned right because remember you a person can be lesbian and still be anti-gay male and one example of this was Catherine Hepburn from various statements that she made in the 60s once one was 
allowed to talk about the subject. She never came out, of course, and she might have been to some degree bisexual. Now, Catherine Hepburn is not in the book, by the way, whereas Betty Davis is and so on. Uh, but yeah, for that's that's what happened uh, for Elizabeth Scott. So then she, what she transitioned to were game shows. I remember my sister and I would watch growing up a game show in the afternoon called You Don't Say, uh, hosted by Tom Kennedy. And at the end of every show, he would say, remember, it's not what you say that counts, it's why you don't say. <laughs> and, and so that's how she ended up in game shows. But she had invested wisely in real estate. She lived into her 90s. She never came out. She never married, didn't have children. Uh, and I am waiting for the first biography, but a truthful biography, I hope, of Elizabeth Scott. And her real name was Emma Matzo. Oh, wow. She was she, not only she was lesbian, she was Jewish, two things that stars basically had to cover up then. And when um, a movie magazine sent a reporter to her mother's door, I think the mother lived in Pennsylvania, to interview her about her movie star daughter, Elizabeth Scott. And her mother said, I have no daughter named Elizabeth Scott. I had a daughter named Emma. That's it. <laughs> wow. Ouch. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know she was still alive. And then I saw this picture of her, and she had the same Elizabeth Scott hairdo. Yeah. And she was dressed very chic, and she, you know. Oh, yes, she was a fashion plate. And the thing is, I saw her twice long after her retirement, and you could still recognize her. And one of them, she was in her mid to late 80s, and still you'd look and you say, oh, it's Elizabeth Scott. Whereas a lot of older people, Eventually, after the mid-80s especially, if they're right. still alive, you have to, is that so-and-so? That kind of thing. But yeah, she she retained her looks, she, um, and she kept living in the same modest little Hollywood Boulevard apartment all her life since she came to Hollywood. And I think that she had a thought. satisfied life. I really do. You know, she Yes, she did because she was into learning. She would take all kinds of classes at UCLA and she was criticized for that when she was starring in movies. Hedda Hopper, who was ultra right wing and very homophobic, although her only her child, her son, <laughs> yeah. was gay, yeah. uh, co star on Perry Mason. Uh Hedda Hopper took her to task for studying psychology and uh, art appreciation at UCLA, saying, well, why does a pretty girl have to do any of that? And also she was criticized, why doesn't she have a boyfriend? Eventually, why doesn't she get married? Why does she wear pants in public, even <laughs> after they become semi-respectable? Yeah. All of these things, I mean, they were just gunning for her, and she was the first and most prominent example of outing, uh, ruining a film career. Fortunately, as I said, that doesn't do that damage anymore. Now, did you hear about the woman who plays the the uh, Elvira character, Cassandra? What's her oh, name? Cassandra Peterson. Yeah. yeah, she just came out. She has been with a woman for twenty years, and she was afraid. I did not. Yeah, she's seventy. Really? Yeah, and she just well, wrote how a book. Interesting. I want because to get her on the show, yeah, big time. Oh, I hope you do, and she'd be a wonderful guest. But here's what I had read more than once. I read a quote from her where she said, oh, I'm not a lesbian, honey, or something like that. I'm not a lesbian, dear, but I would love to be one, only I'm sorry I'm not. But so now it turns out she was, or is, yeah. Yeah, for 20 years she's had this woman, and it's been like her assistant, and it didn't, you know, she, yes. she's finally said, because she didn't think her fans would accept her. 
her character or her as being gay. Yes, now she's 70. Hand, she's like, what the heck? Well, that's it, you see. She was playing a sex bomb type character, but how long can you keep that up? And so eventually, when you're not a sex symbol, well, then you can not disappoint the men in the audience too much by coming out. But yeah, a lot of uh, gay and lesbian people, their so-called assistant is, in fact, their partner, their lover. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to try to get her on. Her book looks just wonderful. Um, Oh, yeah. I have to read that. You just read, I'm going to tell you guys, read Bose's book. It is fabulous. We only touched, what, 10 stories? (laughs) Really? Just a fraction, sure. Yeah. We've done an hour, but we've touched some great stories. Oh, definitely. Um, Its name of the book is Scandals, Secrets, and Swan Songs, How Hollywood Stars Lived, Worked, and Died. No, it does not talk about goody two-shoeses. I'm sorry, (laughs) but it's a wonderful book. I I read it. I I got it. I read most of it at night, and then I finished it because I get up so early in the morning and finished it the next day. So it was done, and you guys will love it. There are so many stories, and um, all new. A lot of stuff no, I never knew. So Me too, until I researched it. I mean, I was amazed. And when I started researching, I said, this has to be a book, because this would be so interesting. I try and write books that I'm interested in and I think other people will be because the author has to be really enthusiastic on the subject otherwise how do you interest your audience I was long long ago offered to write a biography of Madonna for more money than I've ever gotten than any other book. Right. But I had to turn it down because, yes, she was interesting, but I, I wasn't that enthused. And I thought, well, I have to be really enthused and find out all kinds of new things. And the person has to be really interesting and have many facets to them. And, of course, she was that much younger. So how many facets do you have at 25 right. as opposed to, you know, later on? Yeah. So, uh, and remember, I would say this to potential readers, uh, it's, yes, how Hollywood stars lived, worked, and died, but it is not depressing in not any way. Remember, all. again, remember that you have, you all have the endurance to, or you all have the strength to endure the misfortunes of others. Perfect Especially quote. if they're Hollywood stars. <laughs> Perfect yeah. quote. Bose, thank you so much for being my first guest of my new season. I am so happy that you said you'd love to do it, and I am thrilled that you did it. Well, it's always a pleasure, Grace. My goodness, you have such a good show, and and you pick such interesting guests. I'm not including myself in that. But but you are. Your show show is something to listen to every time, and you're such a great host. You have such interest, and you really read the book. I have been on TV shows where I could tell within the first few minutes the host didn't read the book. That happens more than you know, more times than not. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I enjoy them, you know, I just, and especially your books, because... You know, you just don't do it on one person. There's all this potpourri of humanity. And also, what I try and reveal is the behind the scenes, because show business is basically what is shown, but what really is there and behind the scenes is so much more interesting, the truth, as opposed to the fictitious facade. Right. No, it's a wonderful book. You guys will all love it. Um, This is number 27. I have never read a book by Bose that has not been wonderful. And I've written, a, I've read a ton of your books. 
Mm, well, that's great. Very flattering. <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, thank you guys for listening. And I want to thank you both because you are the best. And you know you're welcome any time, any time you want to come on. And um, Well, maybe there'll be a number 28. <laughs> <laughs> Talk Tinseltown. You are welcome. Yeah. It, but no goody two-shoes called it. Right. <laughs> okay. So thank you, Bose, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it. Bye, everybody. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown.